So we are uh, taking an extended uh, look into uh, John chapter, uh, well, the book of John. Um, but we uh, are, are moving through John uh, this year together. Um, and here at the beginning of the year, we are looking at uh, the metaphors and the similes uh, and the images that are used uh, to talk about Jesus. Last week, if you remember, we were in chapter 1, uh, where John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God. And this week we'll be in chapter 3, where once more it's John the Baptist. He's speaking and he calls Jesus the Bridegroom. Which is an interesting uh, phrase to talk about Jesus as the groom. For any of you who have been a groom you know that a groom only has one job on their wedding day. One job and one job only. Don't steal the bride's shine. That's it. That's all you got to do. Show up and don't steal the bride's shine. Because it's her day. The sooner you figure that out, the happier your wedding day will be. I tell that to every future uh, groom who comes through my office during our premarital counseling. I say, you have one job. Show up. And don't steal her shine. And that sounds like two jobs, but it's really not. It's one. Show up. Don't steal her shine. And delight in the bride. Delight in the bride. Take, take joy in seeing her walk down the aisle because you only get to do it once. Take joy in that first dance because it'll be special. Take joy in the day. Embrace every moment of it. In Isaiah chapter 62, we see this language of uh, God being the groom of a uh, bride of creation that's been redeemed first, first make its, its, its use in Scripture. In Isaiah chapter 62, we read, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name you the land of the desolate. But you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so your builder will marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. God delights in his people. Uh, I, I really like the way um, Will Mancini says it. He says, not only does God love you, he likes you. He likes you just the way you are, and, and He likes the way that He's transforming you. 
God delights in us. It's not just that, that, that He puts up with us. It's not just that He feels obligated to us. God delights in us. So, we are, um, Cindy and I are now old enough, we do not get invited to many weddings anymore. We are kind of in that, that phase of life where most of our friends have been married off and they aren't old enough to have children to marry off yet. So we don't get to go to very many weddings anymore. But when we went to a bunch, uh, there was one factor that determined whether it was a great wedding or not in our eyes. And it had nothing to do with the service because uh, wedding services tend to be pretty similar. Walk in, uh, you have the... Uh, the proclamation, the presentation, the exchanging of vows, you know, maybe there's a lighting of a candle or pouring of sand. Uh, but what really sets a great wedding apart is a great party. Weddings are made by how well you are fed. Um, and it's, it's, it is... It's interesting, looking back on my own wedding day, um, the only part of it I really remember is the party. I was going to say, don't tell Cindy, but she's sitting right there. (laughs) Because our party was so much fun. Uh, All these people who came to support us on our wedding day, we got to go and talk to them, and uh, we shared in a pig that had been roasted uh, with an apple in its mouth, and it was great. There was pie. (laughs) I want to have another party, Cindy. But the delight of the wedding day for the, the, the way that, that a, a couple invites everyone into their joy and into their delight, it's really in this, this party. And, and Jesus uses this party imagery uh, in Mark chapter 2. Um, in Mark chapter 2. Uh, so what's going on in the book of Mark? Uh, early in Mark, we see this, uh, this series of events where the Pharisees and religious teachers of the law are questioning the practices of Jesus. Um, so if you go a little bit further uh, back, you'll see the Pharisees asking, uh, why is Jesus healing on the Sabbath? Why is Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners? Uh, there's this... You know, it's a cycle that repeats over and over and over. Why is Jesus doing this thing that we don't understand? Um, how, is, how are we to interpret this? And in Mark chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 18, we see this cycle begin again. And in verse 18 we read that John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? 
They cannot. So long as they have him with them, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. For no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth to an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making a tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskin will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. I love this. Jesus, in talking about why his disciples aren't fasting, why they are in a perpetual state of party, um, says it's because the bridegroom is here. The, the, I have invited them into my joy. How could they ever fast when I am with them? Uh, life with Jesus... Like, there is an element to it where life with Jesus is supposed to be a party. Like, there should be joy in living a life with Jesus. Because God delights in us and Jesus delights in us when we are living in, in lockstep with the way God has made us and is transforming us and the way God has called us. There should be true joy there. And that brings us to our text for today, John chapter 3. And in John chapter 3, let's, let's start at verse 27, actually. So in John chapter 3, what's happening is that... Um, John has already baptized, or John the Baptist. So, so John, the author of the Gospel according to John, and John the Baptist are the person. So I'm going to say John, and I'm going to try to, when I'm talking about John the Baptist, say John the Baptist, but if I confuse you, I apologize. We will depend on the Holy Spirit to clear all that confusion up. Um, so John the Baptist has uh, just baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, and this is what we talked about uh, last week. You know, Jesus arrives, John says, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is baptized, the Spirit falls down on Jesus like a dove. Uh, John tells his disciples, look, he's the Lamb, and a couple of his disciples go and begin following Jesus. So some time passes, and uh, the traveling parties of John and Jesus find themselves with each other once again. And, um, and as Jesus is baptizing, and John is baptizing, uh, we're starting to see that these two groups show up, and some people who'd been following John the Baptist uh, start following Jesus, rather than continuing to follow John the Baptist. Um, and John the Baptist's uh, disciples come to him and say, Rabbi, uh, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you baptized, the one you testified about, uh, he's baptizing, and people are going to him now. But in verse 27, John the Baptist replies, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends to the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. 
That joy is mine. It is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what has been seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. I am amazed at John's humility here. Because I have grown up in a world where people grasp for political power and hold on to it with white-knuckle intensity as long as they possibly can. You don't see people gladly hand over authority and influence and power. But John does. John the Baptist is able to keep the main thing the main thing. He understands what his call is. He understands the reason why God put him on the planet was to prepare the way for Jesus. So that as Jesus' ministry grows and John's ministry shrinks, instead of uh, you know, getting really anxious and going through his spreadsheets and saying, oh, how can we, like, uh, uh, we're going to have trouble keeping our doors open. Um, you know, uh, how do we get our, our market share back? Uh, so if I carry the three, uh, we might be able to... Like, like, that calculus is nowhere on John's horizon. He understands what the purpose of his life is. So as Jesus' ministry grows and his ministry shrinks, he rejoices. And the image he uses uh, is is that of being the best man. Because the best man doesn't stand there during a wedding and as the, the bride and groom say, I do, the best man doesn't sulk because he doesn't get to marry the bride. Right? That would be really weird. Like, that, that is a seriously dysfunctional relationship. If, if the best man is standing here, uh, if anyone has an objection to this marriage, speak now or forever hold their peace. I mean, like, if the, bride, if the best man said, well, I, I, I love the bride too, I mean, can you imagine the fallout? John understands that he is not the groom. That the people of God aren't his. That no one who ever followed him was, is, is his to possess but that he carried them for a short while so that he can pass them on to the groom. So that he can pass them on to Jesus. So that he can pass them into the life that God is truly calling them to. Calling them. Now when we 
know who we are in Christ, it's my sense that we can have that same attitude. When we know who we are and how God has created us uniquely to be a part of the Holy Kingdom, we too can hold on to our lives with that sort of loose grip that that John the Baptist did. Because as, as John the Baptist's influence melted away, we didn't see him trying to, you know, hold people in. He was pushing them away. He was saying, go, go be with Jesus. And if we understand our own uh, wiring and call and the way God has made us and the way God is, is using us for the greater purpose of the kingdom we too will be able to recognize those seasons where our influence is decreasing. Those seasons where, um, where it seems like less people are, are taking us seriously. That is not cause for alarm. Those seasons where it, where it feels like we're losing power and we're, we're losing influence, that isn't necessarily cause for alarm. Because none of us are the end goal. Like, all of us are called uh, to both disciple and be discipled. You know, all of us are both called to have people uh, around us who we can pour what we know of God into, and also to be around people who can pour from themselves into us. Like, this is, this is the way uh, the the practice of being a Christian has been transmitted forever in, in the church. And understanding that, that, that none of this, we can't hold on to any of it tightly, gives us great freedom to, to be able to trust God more entirely. You know, I, I, I think it's a, it's a pretty typical thing for us as humans to desire more. Um, you know, more money, more power, more influence, more, uh, you know, beanie babies. I don't know. I mean, whatever you like, you know, to desire more of it is a pretty human impulse. But what we discover is that when we know at the very core of our being that God delights in us, when we know at the very core of our being who God has created us to be, that desire for more is satisfied. We don't need more. The only thing we need more of is Jesus. We don't need more people to think we're cool. We don't need uh, more uh, people to listen to us. We understand that, that, that ultimately it's not about us. 
at all. That it's not about our wisdom or our, uh, our intelligence, but that we can get out of the way and invite people into a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus. And the alternative is to be a best man who, whose candle burns for the bride. We know a God who delights in us. Who not only loves us, have some sense of obligation, but truly likes us. Which can be hard to believe when we don't always like ourselves. Because we all know our faults. You know, it's, it's easy to get up in the morning and to look in the mirror and go, Ugh. It's easy to, to lay in bed at night and think through the day and have all of your mistakes replay over and over and over again. And if we aren't careful, we'll begin to believe the lie that we aren't likable, we aren't lovable, that we're, you know, human garbage. But the reality is that, that God says something very different about who we are. The Bible tells us that God delights in us. That God didn't make a mistake when he made you. And that the, the project that God is working even now to transform us into the best possible version of ourselves is a project that he is overseeing personally. You know, the, the biblical authors talk about the flesh. Um, and, and in the Bible, when you read the flesh, it is shorthand for the, um, the outcomes of the fall that tend to still have a foothold in, in our lives. Right? So while, while Jesus' death and resurrection frees us to a world of possibilities and choices to make that are healthy and uh, can be God-honoring, we still bear the weight of growing up in a broken world. And those fleshy passions and those fleshy desires can get us into trouble. But we know that in a life lived with Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can have victory over those fleshy passions and desires that hurt us and others.
And that even when we fail, God is not viewing our failure through a clear lens. But we are viewed all the time through the lens of Jesus. Whose perfection is given to us, even though we don't deserve it in any way, shape, or form. Because he loves us. He delights in us. God has called us by name. He's adopted us from slavery to sin and death. And we are his children. And in the same way that my kids can do some really boneheaded stuff. And I can say to myself, ooh, they are acting so much like their mother right now. (laughs) I'm in trouble. In the midst of that, I still love them. They're still mine. I delight in my children, regardless of what they do. And if I, who am a bone-headed, knucklehead human with a fleshy center that I can't seem to, to burn off, if I can delight in my children, how much more can God delight in us? How much more are we defined not by what we do or what's been done to us, but by the God who's chosen to love us. We, as the church, are the bride of Christ. He delights in us and loves us and likes us. And that's good news. Let's pray. Almighty God, we confess that we have sometimes believed the lie that we are unlovable. That there's no way that you could truly want to know us. And Lord, we've believed the lie that the purpose of life is to gain power and influence and wealth. But Lord, we thank you that you are the God who reveals the truth. That you delight in us. That you love us. That you like us. That you are calling us to more than just the rat race. Lord, help us to understand who you've called us to be so that we can have the same humility as John the Baptist. Lord, plant deep within us the knowledge that you delight in us, that you love us, that you like us, so that we are not burdened 
by the unquenchable desire for more. Lord, you give us grace that we don't deserve. You view us not through the lens of our failures, but through the lens of Christ's perfection. So Lord, we thank you. And we give you thanks and we pray all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.